Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Starting the week off right, I hope. Hopefully, everyone had a restful week. Uh, restful weekend, I should say. And we're going to be starting the week off right. And we know the week's coming ahead. I think it's really smart to kind of slow down that this is a... Um, a process I'm bringing myself through and a level of consciousness I'm trying to create as I'm about to enter into the week, looking ahead and seeing what's before me, you know, what do I need to be aware of? Again, I borrow lovingly this concept from the disability rights community about spoons. And it's this concept of units of energy. And we only have so much based on our abilities or disabilities, our neurodiversity, um, other stress factors or uh, levels of oppression, depending on our identity politics, how it all swirls together is basically where our needs lie. And everyone's needs are different. That's something I want to try to repeat on every single show. So everyone really gets that drilled in had important, a really interesting conversation over the weekend with someone that I care about and this topic came up and they were just talking about how, you know, in things like school and work, you know, same expectations on everyone. We have the same expectations on everyone. We have to expect the same. And I was saying that's not actually mentally healthy and that's not centering mental health to center mental health is to acknowledge everyone has a different need. Um, some people I'll use the school example. It was the clearest. Uh, some people go to school in the morning and some people come from a very supportive, loving household where all their needs are met. Awesome. Another person arrives at school having walked to school because they didn't have access to means of transportation maybe. And so they had to have a difficult walk or trek. Other people go to school full of anxiety and fear because they're bullied for being gay, trans, larger bodied. Other individuals come from an emotionally unavailable or abusive family. Another child, the family might be very loving and supportive, but struggling financially and breakfast isn't provided. And all these kids show up to start their day in a different place. One of them maybe has more of an ADHD based neurodiverse mind. If we use that word, another child um, might be highly depressed. Another one might be struggling emotionally because his parents are going through a divorce. There's so many different pieces that bring us into our day that it cannot be the same expectations. What does that mean for a teacher or the school system? That's a second conversation. How do we accommodate? these differences and diversities. But I just want to remind everyone, different expectations on every friend, different expectations on every family member, different expectations on every employee, every, different expectations on every student, because everyone is in a different place and has different needs. 
And we know from trauma-informed theory that what doesn't kill you, as they say, actually makes you weaker and more traumatized. It tends to not actually make you stronger. That is for people that have a certain kind of foundation, a certain level of resilience, an ability to integrate and process what happened, and also a lot of support around them. That might lead to turning that into insight and some post-traumatic growth. But for others, they're living in the trauma. It's an open-ended ongoing every day, right? And so everyone has different needs. So I apply that back to individually as you start your week to realize what are my needs in general and what are my needs this week based on what I have before me? How available can I be? You might need to turn down a project at work and set a boundary with your boss. You might need to disappoint a friend by saying, I can't attend your birthday dinner for drinks because we only have so many units of energy. Some people start their day with 20, other people start their day with 10, and other people with chronic disorders or fatigue, like myself, which surprises people, I tend to in professional spaces be very outgoing and energized, but I tend to have very low levels of energy and some other mental diversities. And we all start our day or our week with different levels of energy available. Our gas tank isn't full. Some people start with a full tank, others don't. And we have to look ahead and say, what's required of me? What's most prioritized, right? Sometimes our day or our week has to start with what do I really need to accomplish and how much energy will those things take, right? Again, based on what's going on in the world around us with finances, housing, employment, school loans, COVID, deaths, not everyone is able to attend to everything and they have to start their day saying what's required of me and what am I going to be able to get through? And we have to think more in those terms. That's being mental health centered. We think that way easily in terms of physical health and that's what the conversation was about. If someone showed up on crutches using a wheelchair Whatever it is, we understand the need to accommodate that. We'll say maybe they'll be showing up late or walking slower, or we need to change their ability to get access to the building, but we don't think that way in terms of mental health. If someone's depressed or struggling with all these other factors I talked about, yes, they might be running a little late and you need to afford them extra time. That was one of the most powerful things I had to say to people when I worked at an inpatient mental health and drug and alcohol treatment center is they would say, Dr. Chris, it's not fair. You let so-and-so, and I'd say, yes, based on that person's needs, they need different accommodations. Everyone needs different accommodations. And so some people would come in a group late and others were, was demanded that they're there on time. I had to meet the needs of the individual in front of me and different expectations on everyone. That's, that's how we, that's a neurodiverse model. That's a trauma informed model. That's a compassion centered model. That's a disability rights model, right? That's a mental health being centered model is it can't be, well, they were able to pull this off. Why can't you? Cause I'm not them. I have, a th- I have this thing called psychology and everyone's psychology is different and we have to be able to accommodate that you have different expectations on all your kids all your family members different expectations on your students your employees different expectations on your bosses different expectations on your teachers different expectations on each parent i know blows our minds people are different (laughs) equal but different (laughs) equal but diverse equal but needing different accommodations based on all these different factors all right, y'all, coming up, we're going to be talking about some gay rights and uh, also sitting down with a buddy of mine. And we're going to be talking about some grief and loss and answering some questions. We've got a great show planned for you. DMs are open. As always, drop your questions in there. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Good evening, everybody. Hope you guys are doing well. We've got a great show planned for you. Um, I wanted to start by just sharing some information I saw in an article and I thought it was really heartbreaking. I want to make sure I'm constantly, constantly using my platform to advocate for marginalized, exploited identities. And uh, this one was heartbreaking. So the LGBTQIA community, 
Um, you know, we're doing really great about vocalizing the rights for a lot of different communities. We've got to bring more power and energy and fire to the LGBTQIA rights. Um, do you know it's still illegal to be gay in over 70 countries? Illegal, literally on paper illegal. You'll get the death penalty for being gay in 12, murdered if suspected of engaging in gay activity or gay propaganda. Uh, illegal in 70 countries, you can get the death penalty in 12. You are being, people are being killed for this. And that's why it's heartbreaking when I'm seeing some of the things I'm seeing. And uh, you know, I wanted to share an article with you, not, not to make light of that, because I think that there's something, it's the, I'm gonna go through an article that talks about all the things that people think are gay. And I wanna make sure everyone understands why I'm doing this. It's somewhat funny and humorous, so we're allowed to laugh. It's not the, it's not at the, um, you know, uh, at the uh, violence of anyone gay. These are like really stupid memes. But it's a reminder that we live in a culture that's so homophobic that people put out articles listing all the things that might be perceived or to mean you're gay. And I was saying this to someone, and it triggered some people. I got some interesting responses on my IG, but I was talking about how even some hetero men will sit a seat apart at the movie theaters because we have so much anxiety around gayness being perceived as gay, we have to resolve that. I, I'm heartbroken that straight men can't have any kind of social relationship that is affectionate or loving or anything that might be deemed as warm because they're afraid of it being gay, because somehow that is gay, because somehow being gay is bad or wrong. It's heartbreaking. So ready for this list? So this is an article from Hornet, and it's um, looking at all the weird things straight men have been told were gay. First one, reading. Reading, yes, yes, reading a book. Um, ready for this one? Eating certain foods. But yes, there are articles on what foods you should not eat in public because you might be perceived as gay. Again, nothing wrong with being gay, so it shouldn't matter what we're perceived as, and we should live in a culture where we can just eat the foods we want. But yeah, there's certain foods and certain ways of eating foods that are gay. Here's another one. Enjoying female singers. This is a list that straight guys have written, straight guys have written of things they've been told implies someone's gay. Enjoying female singers. Ready for this one? Greeting people when entering a party. I'm not kidding you. These are all real things. So friendliness and etiquette and <laughs> being a good host apparently can be gay. Oh, sorry. Here, I found the specifics. Here's the, here's the foods that are gay. Hot dogs, bananas, cucumbers. Those are the three most offensive. Oh, here's another one. Someone said they went on a date. This is a girl. She said, I went on a date with a guy who wouldn't drink a cocktail because he said they were gay. He said he'd only drink beer because that's masculine. So people are literally moving away from their true tastes and interests so as to not socially be perceived as something that should inherently have no issue. But again, we also live in a biphobic culture. So I understand that bi biphobia is close enough where someone might be with a woman, they might think, ah, oh, there still might be some gayness. And a lot of hetero people don't even think that bisexuality exists. Again, why we have so much work to do. These kind of things hurt my heart, listening to music, certain movies, eating certain foods, going certain places. And this is current. This isn't even 10 years ago. I read to you guys on a couple shows back, women's dating advice from a magazine from the 50s. Okay, horrifying, but made a little bit of sense because we were going back very far. But this is stuff that's coming out in 2021. <clears throat> I mean, I don't even wanna go through some of the other ones because it actually, some of them get like really offensive. Now let's kind of push forward. Little Mama, I don't know if you guys are familiar with her. She was a uh, rapper, not was, is a rapper. And um, she's starting the heterosexual rights movement. 
and this is why we have to keep talking about these things. There are people that actually think something's going on in that there's going to be oppression against straight people. The whole world is centered in straightness. I don't know any straight couple that's had a bottle thrown at their head for holding hands. Gay couples get that. I've never heard of a straight couple feeling unsafe about holding hands walking through a neighborhood. Gay people do. I've never heard about gay, uh, straight people, straight people being told they can't get married because the genders are wrong. Gay people get that all the time. And again, I don't know of any country where it's illegal to be straight. It is in 70 countries. No death penalty. There is for gay people in 12 countries. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what is the anxiety? It's like the anxiety in All Lives Matters. You know, it's like celebrating someone's birthday is not to say that other people's birthdays aren't meaningful. It's just we're celebrating this person today or giving this person a little more care and support, right? And so it's like such a bizarre thing when straight people are saying, well, where's our day? Every day, every day is straight people day. Every day and every space because it's always centered in the needs. People are assumed to be straight. Marriages was originally for just a, a, a straight couple. Now we're trying to expand it, say, hey, gay people fall in love too even people in numbers of more than two, as we've talked about the thruple that is married, all their names on their child's birth certificate. <sighs> and, and I think the hardest part about this rapper's um, heterosexual rights agenda is that also she outright called for an anti-LGBTQIA bullying campaign. Anti. This is heartbreaking. So that's why we have a lot of work to do. So what does that mean? It means a thousand things. <laughs> Support the rights of gay people. Be an ally. End discrimination. The joking. Put gay people in positions of power. Normalize gayness. Don't assume everyone's straight. Hold space for both. Make friends of both. Read books and talk about gay people throughout history and in the world to your children. Like there's so many entry points to do this work, but we have to normalize it, which is happening. But I see articles like this. Well, actually both articles, actually all three articles. My heart hurts because it reminds us of how much work we still have to do. You know, Cara Delevingne, who's a model actress, she has an article out, this is People Magazine, saying that depression and suicidal moments for her came from her struggles with her sexuality. Am I gay? Am I bi? And she landed more with bi-ness. But again, we haven't normalized that as a possibility. Parents should be talking about that with their children, reading books, seeing them on television, letting our children know whoever you wind up being in terms of gender, sexual orientation is acceptable. Here, look, right? All right, we're going to take a little break. When you come back, going to be doing some DMs and uh, continuing to uh, center and prioritize mental health. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And um, I was laughing at this during the break. I'm going to share this with you all. This is about things that we weren't afraid of before the pandemic, but we are now continued. Because I was talking about some of this last week, and I thought some of this is so funny, but it's really, it's about getting a little bit of a laugh, but it's also to normalize eye contact. Now, I was paying attention to that when I was at the coffee shop the other day. Um, somehow we feel as though, in trying to keep space physically and with the masks, that, that eye contact is somehow too close, too intimate, too personal. It somehow has gotten pulled into that. I saw people not making and also breaking eye contact as though that was to get too close or to pull someone in. It was really fascinating. So I wanna remind people that in fact, we need to make it. I had someone make eye contact with me and kind of smile through their eyes and it actually made me feel good. It made me feel part of community. 
otherwise I just felt so detached. Everyone's going around in these like self-contained units, but it was really fascinating. No eye contact being made, not a lot of recognition of other people being around them. And it was a lot of like breaking of that. So it was really fascinating. Another thing is being around crowds. Yes, that's been making my heartbeat. Anytime I see too many people, some part of me inside is like danger, danger, danger. And I've been kind of backing out and backing away from that. So don't, don't worry. I know, I know that we're trickling back in. Um, the gyms are opening up. I went to the gym, uh, masked. I went at a time when it was completely empty and it felt, it felt good. And the minute I saw people starting to arrive, I could feel my heartbeat, people being close. It's so fascinating. It's so fascinating, but it's a year. It's been a year and a half. That's going to normalize the newness. But remember law of human gravity will go back to what's most comfortable most familiar and easiest and crowds is that. So that will alleviate itself. But again, if you're like me, the idea of sitting in a crowded movie theater or a concert, I've said that is not going to happen for a very long time. And then shaking hands and hugging. I haven't shaken someone's hand or, or hugged anyone other than the person I'm in a relationship with in a year and a half. I mean, really sit with that. And I don't know what that's going to feel like the, the first time we're all vaccinated and the world's different and we're back out there. Someone trying to shake your hand, it's going to feel off or someone kind of pulling you in for a hug, maybe we'll move away from those social norms. You know, it, it makes me sad and I'm fearful for less touch. We're already a very touch-phobic culture where not everyone's familiar touching as a way of soothing and intimacy. I would love to see friends giving each other maybe kisses hello or hugging or leaning on each other. What a beautiful thing to even maybe see friends holding hands. But again, toxic monogamy, that's cheating, that's tied to trying to build a rela you know, relationship of romance and sexuality, and that's just for romance partners, and none of that's necessarily real. Again, if we're trusting ourselves and trusting other people and we honor the boundaries we set, then all's well. So that's the world I wanna live in, but I think we might be moving away from a lot of handshaking and hugging. I know that I'll be a little more thoughtful about whether or not I'm willing to and what role that plays in my life. But I don't want to become touch phobic and completely disconnect and distance. So really going to have to see, but um, it's going to continue being a, a topic of conversation because I can imagine a lot of people leaning out, pulling their hand back, not feeling comfortable with that. Um, also dating. That's things that weren't so scary and now are. And a lot of my clients are asking me that. Do I? Can I? Where do I go? What do we even do? And it's different, but that doesn't mean it's bad or wrong. We talked about that around the holidays. It's just going to be different. That doesn't have to mean it's bad or wrong or broken or canceled. Difference has to be okay. And dating is just different. You can still go on a great date via FaceTime. I know it sounds weird, but you can. Also with your masks, outdoors, having coffee, picnicking, outside, away from people. Yes, it still will be fun. It's just different. We don't have to put our entire lives on hold. Just be thoughtful. Sexuality and, and other forms of affection. We do have to be different about that though. Yes. We do need to be very thoughtful. We have to ask those sexual health questions. When's the last time you were tested? When's the last time you're also tested for COVID? What kind of, you know, protective measures have you been taking? How high risk is this person? We're going to be asking those questions, maybe even about socialization and then also just sharing public space. It was fascinating when I sat down outside the outdoor and coffee shops are open, seeing people moving chairs away you know, even while outside in a very unpopulated area, but just this like hyper awareness of who's near me, how close are they, right? People are pull, pulling in. It's such a pulling in, pulling in and pulling away from. How about sharing objects, not sharing straws or utensils, or maybe even not giving someone like a pen or taking paper money. I mean, anything that's touched or touchable now has a new meaning. So people are really cautious about sharing. I'm, I'm looking at a couple of articles talking about that. 
right? Where we're moving away from community care in some ways because we don't want to touch or give or be close to, which I get. Um, cosmetic and spa services, that doesn't surprise me. You know, people are very close to your face for long periods of time indoors. Uh, going back to work, working with a lot of clients I have a lot of anxiety about that. I'm hoping that businesses are realizing that we are able to work from home and we'll offer that for a multitude of reasons. People can then be home. Why not let people be comfortable? Why does everyone have to be in the office if they don't have to? We need to be real, really rational. Do they really need to be there and why? Because a lot of people have some anxiety. It's now a mental health issue. We have to accommodate and allow for that, you know? Um, mental health has to matter, but we're gonna keep talking about these things and they're gonna get normalized in all different kinds of ways. We just have to stay open, so no panicking. Um, all right, coming up next, we're gonna be sliding in those DMs. If you got a DM for us, as always, drop them in our Loveline IG page in the DMs. And then we're gonna be sitting down with Jesse Mae Peluso, an amazing comedian, talking about things like sex, sexual anxiety, and um, even the way some grief and loss shows up in that. So stick around and join us. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Uh, Going to slide into the DMs in a minute. Looking really quickly at an article on psychedelics. Psychedelic therapy could reset a depressed brain. Yeah, we're, we're going to wind up talking more about psychedelics. I I'm kind of doing a little more research, tracking the progress. But um, participants that were given the drug DMT followed by talk therapy, which is not shocking because uh, for a lot of uh, pharmacological positive outcomes, they talk about the uh, use of both talk therapy along with medication. Why? Well, medication can help neurologically, whether or not it was actually a neurological issue. Um, and talk therapy helps us make meaning, make change. So uh, psychedelics, but the idea of it possibly resetting what has become or what is a depressed brain is really, really powerful stuff. I know that there's a lot of people talking about uh, ketamine therapies in terms of addiction. So we're going to track it, but um, psychedelic assisted therapy uh, shows symptoms. I'm looking at this. I'm sorry, signs of longer term relief from symptoms, not just short term. And that's phenomenal, especially for people that are constantly, you know, struggling with depression uh, and addiction issues. So anyway, I'm going to keep tracking it. Uh, some of it's anecdotal. We're still learning about its possibilities. But here's another quote. Research believe the drug might help loosen the brain's fixed pathways which can then be reset with talking therapy afterwards. So again, we talk a lot about the what you fire together wires together and how the repeated use of something or the repeated activation of the brain can strengthen some of those neural connections. And essentially this might help loosen them. So good news, good news. Uh, we'll keep tracking it, talking about it. But nonetheless, now it is time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, tonight's question says, hey, Dr. Chris, my son is a freshman in high school. And next week is his spring break. He asked me if he could spend the weekend with his father who lives in Arizona. And we're in California. Normally I would say yes. However, with the pandemic going on, I said no. My son is so upset and his dad's pretty upset with me as well. Am I wrong for being concerned about this trip? No. <laughs> uh, there's a couple celebrities that came out saying, yeah, we found out our kids weren't following the rules and then coming home. Uh, we booted them out. And I was talking about that in the beginning of the pandemic. Same, same holds for now. If you are cohabitating with people, you absolutely all have a right to weigh in on the level of risk that the people that you're living with are setting everyone else up to uh, come in contact with. So 100%, I think it makes a lot of sense right now that you're saying, look, I don't trust or I don't know what kind of protocols your dad's following. And bigger than that, going to Arizona sets you up to have to go to an airport, get on an airplane, and do whatever you're doing over there. I doubt he's flying to Arizona just to kick it with his dad. Listen, there are more spring breaks to come. 
There are more holidays to come. There are more birthdays to come. We all need to chill out a little bit. These are socially constructed um, holidays. Like it's just another day. There'll be more weekends, you know, honestly. And we're in a pandemic and these things matter. We can't be getting so bent out of shape about not being able to honor some of these traditions. Traditions change, times are different. Things are, you know, needing to be seen from a different perspective. But again, um, you wanna look out for yourself and others. And traveling right now in service of a holiday just isn't reasonable. I'm sorry, it's it's not worthwhile. It's not meaningful enough. I understand when we're talking about, um, I don't know, a funeral or something health-based. Um, even some work-related things make sense to me, but a uh, spring break, I mean, you're going to have to come up with a better reason than that. So you're holding your ground. Bigger than that, it's okay. And parenting, just sometimes have people mad at you when you're making a powerful, necessary decision. Um, I don't know what the finer details were. I don't know what precautions they were each willing to take, but that's a really reasonable thing. I mean, unless you say to your son, look, if you want to go, cool. But when you come back out of your pocket, son, you need to go stay somewhere and quarantine for 12 days as per regulations everywhere else. Right now, if you wanna to go to Canada, regardless of whether or not you live in Canada, regardless of, not, regardless of whether or not you have a home, you must go and out of your pocket pay to go stay in a designated hotel. You're allowed to apply that same rule. I say to him, if you wanna to go to Arizona, that's cool, but you're gonna to pay to go stay in a hotel for 12 days when you get back to quarantine and get a negative COVID test. And if he's down with that, hey, then maybe he can go. Maybe his father will pay for it. And then in which case, we're cool, right? In which case, all is well. Uh, but they have to be willing to go through those hoops. Otherwise, um, danger, danger, danger. I know, we gotta make a lot of tough decisions right now, but it's kind of where we're at. So I applaud you for putting your foot down. And I wish I wish his father understood. It shakes my mind that people don't. All right, y'all, uh, stick around. We're coming back. Check out past episodes of Loveline. You can do so by going to wearechannelq.com. Scroll on down, look for my face, click on it, and there's some past episodes of Loveline. And uh, DMs, always open. You got a question for us? Drop it on in there. Stick around. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Welcome back. This is a quick Q&A segment I did with Jesse May from the Sharp Tongue Podcast. Talking about sex misconceptions and ideas, here it is. Jordan Harder asks, how do you overcome sexual anxiety? Oh, wow. Uh, my first answer is always have as much sex as possible. You know, sex is a developmental milestone. And somehow we magically think that we should delay it, delay it, delay it. Magically, at some point in your life when you need to have it, you're going to understand how and have confidence around it. And also we think that it's something we should reserve for committed relationship. No, don't do that. Sex promises nothing. Have sex only because you want to have it in the moment, knowing that it doesn't promise care or commitment. I also say to people, please don't think that delaying sex is a sign I'm interested in a relationship with someone because at some point you do need to explore sexual compatibility. You can start there, you can end there, but at some point we do need to do that. Let's normalize that. It's okay to say I want both relationship commitment and I'm open to casual sex. You can do both at the same time. Sometimes people think I need one or the other. And if I'm being casual in my sex, that that's telling the world I'm not looking for commitment. No, it leads to that often. Um, and it's something we need to learn through practice. So I would say, go have a lot of sex. Port Maine. I keep getting ghosted by dates when they realize how much weed I smoke. Do I just start lying about it? First oh, of all, the ghosting thing yeah. could be a scenario. Like maybe I think I'm in the mindset now with everything that's going on that people, their foundation has been rocked. A lot of them lost their jobs. Relationships have broken apart careers have ended because of the quarantine people have died from covid in people their have died that part as yeah. well 
So people's worlds are shooken up. So when any, anytime somebody like doesn't get back to me or doesn't respond right away, I don't think about it anymore. So maybe this person hasn't considered that maybe you're not getting ghosted. Maybe people's lives are a little up right now. I love you for saying that because that's actually a really mature perspective that when something happens, we tend to make it about us, right? Versus saying what might be going on in their day as to why they didn't get back to me as soon as I needed or what was going on in their day that they didn't text me happy birthday. Like I want us to consider that first, right? What's going on in the context of their life because people are living a life, but we don't do that. It's like, you're not my friend because you didn't text me. Well, I'm sorry, did you consider or ask what was going on for them? That's number one. Um, Number two, uh, too many people are getting beat up from dating and hookup culture. We do need a little more care and compassion. And I hold everyone I know in my personal life and my clinical practice accountable to. If you are not willing to send someone a I'm not interested anymore text, then you are not mature enough to be dating or having sex with people. Because it literally takes five seconds to write, hey, it was great hanging out. The chemistry just isn't there for me. I'm not interested in hanging out again, like all the best. It takes two seconds. And if you're not willing to do that, you are not safe or mature enough to date. This is a good question. I think you will enjoy Lex Delaney, who is a longtime fan. First time single in eight or nine years. Scared, but excited. Hard to stop talking to my ex, though. <laughs> Put words to that face. Why? Are you saying you've been um, there? Are you saying I see you? What are you saying? I'll tell you. See, for me, I and I, I'm just going to guess that you have a more open perspective about this. I don't like see that. the need to be best friends with your ex, especially right after you break up. I don't see mm-hmm. the necessity. Mm-hmm. To me, it feels a little codependent. It feels also slightly toxic to the healing process. And it feels like you're you know if you if a shirt doesn't fit you return it to marshall's you don't like go back and put it back on and try and make it fit it doesn't fit there's a hole in it and there's a stain on the back like let's not let's put the shirt back in the store and let somebody else pick it up and clean it and fix it yeah well look said said lovingly that, that that's a common answer and that comes from our anxiety and the lower parts of ourselves because here's the thing when you go through a breakup Yes, we often do need time away and time apart, right? Because when we form a true attached relationship, and what attached means is a long intellectual academic concept, but what it basically means is we've really wired. When you get into a truly connected, deep relationship, your nervous system and your brain's wired. And and you do impact each other. And you do feel a sense of safety and calmness when they're around. And you might feel anxiety when they're not. And a breakup, if you've truly attached and formed a deep relationship, is a severing of that. And that's why there's so much pain. Mm. It should be painful. Now, we will often physically separate, but we will sometimes keep ourselves still attached psychologically by creeping on their social media, talking nonstop to our friends about them, and that doesn't allow us to separate fully. I want to give a big thank you to Jessie May and the Sharp Tongue Podcast. You can check her out through her Instagram at Jessie May Peluso. All right, we're back and we're talking about weight. So I want to give some trigger warnings for people that are just not wanting to talk about or think about their bodies. That's the content warning. Um, It's something we all will at some point encounter. And when we talk about our body, I think a lot of people always imagine we're talking about weight, uh, shape or size, but we're talking about everything. We're talking about your sense of your anatomy. We're talking about penis shaming. We're talking about stretch marks. We're talking about body hair. We're talking about different skin conditions. 
We're talking about a lot of different things. We're talking about height. It's a rough world and we're often um, objectified and we think about ourselves through the gaze of another. We move through the world often kind of judging ourselves based on the perception we make up that others will have of us, right? Um, it's really hard for us to have general self-esteem if we're really not doing well in terms of our body esteem. Uh, you know, there was a time when people just wanted to be a good or better person. And that was a time when they focused on etiquette and ethics and morals and religion. And now we're at a time where people just want to look and be hot and they want to have a hot body. And it's really set some people up to be very anxious and very depressed and feeling very isolated when the body that you are born in, when the vehicle that is yours, that you move through the world in is not meeting what we call market value or desirability politics and standards. It's very hard to feel okay in the world. And those standards are arbitrary, right? They change from culture to culture and time moment in time to moment in time. It's not always the same. And when you go back and look at the history, you can see how these things have shifted, changed and evolved. Um, <clears throat> but that's part of the issue, right? is we have set up these standards that we've decided will be what we all culturally agree to as seeing, you know, to be what's most attractive. And that is how fashion and television and magazines and modeling and all of that kind of orbits around that. And so it's really hard to dismantle that, but we need to because it doesn't include everyone. And wouldn't it be great if we could have these beauty standards and norms and ideas of health that were more inclusive so that people could feel okay. Because again, remember, mental health matters. Whenever we're talking about something, we always have to say, but what's the mental health impact? And if it's a negative one, then we can't, then we're not talking about health. And people will say that, that are in the weight loss world. They'll say, well, we're worried about health. It's like, right. And weight stigma is a mental health issue. And that's attached to this, thereby removing the health that you're talking about. Um, it's very shaming. And it's really hard for people to feel attractive if they don't meet those norms and values. So the work is global, but it's also personal. And that's what I realized. I can't just help people working on it in my office, you know, an hour a week and send people back out into the world that's toxic and think that the work is going to be deep or sustainable, right? We have to change the systems that also create those problems. Now, a lot of people bring it up as a health concern and we call it healthism and we call it health policing. Um, be very thoughtful and cautious about commenting on someone else's shape or size or body condition or skin condition or whatever it is, because often it's, it's your anxiety and you feel anxious about how they look or how they're living. And you want to say or do something so that you feel calm, but that's your work. If a person's happily living their life, however they are, you need to really honor that boundary. Um, but people will say, well, I'm worried about someone's health. And so I want to comment on their weight. Everyone's aware of their weight already. And people don't need more people making them feel bad or bringing it up because a, maybe they finally had an hour or a day free away from thinking and considering these things or <clears throat> because they're battling with it and already know, and they've already decided if they want to participate or not in gym culture or weight loss culture. Right. And we already know that diets have a 98 to 99% failure rate and the damage that's done from the yo-yo dieting and the weight gain, the weight loss is quite extreme. And that's why now doctors thankfully are moving away from using words like obesity, which is a statistical pejorative and saying things like overweight and actually focusing on true health, which is about lab test and heart rate and blood pressure, right? And respiratory capacities. Like those are the factors we need to worry about. Again, you don't for your physical, send your doctor a shirtless selfie. And then he makes this diagnosis from that because 
being leaner or being larger doesn't promise or directly speak to what your health will be. We still have to do these tests and find out more. But the larger perspective on this is just the mental health angle, which is people are aware of their shape and size and people are aware of what's going on in the world and you don't need to further stigmatize. Also, weight gain is usually more about genetics, right? It's genetics, socioeconomics. And so if we really want to work on health and we're really worried about some individual's health and certain, you know, quote unquote, blown out epidemics, start helping everyone get basic health care. The work would really be if you're worried about a friend's weight, making sure that everyone has access to the foods that they want, nutritious, fresh foods, if that's what they're looking for. Make sure everyone has accessible gyms. Make sure everyone can afford a gym. Right, like we'll talk a lot about exercise, but not realize that not everyone has access to a gym. There are not gyms everywhere. Not everyone can afford a gym. Not everyone has time off. And not everyone even wants to work at the gym. I mean, or go work out at a gym, right? So we have to take context in. Because my goal for everyone is to move into this new year with better ethics and thinking more in terms of mental health and thinking if I make this comment, what impact will it have on this person's mental health? Because I can't just be worrying about physical. Because that's, that's really where the damage is done. You know, when I'm working with individuals that are struggling with the world, telling them they're not attractive due to, again, body hair, body shape and size, height, skin conditions, whatever we're talking about, <clears throat> that is a reflection. That is a culmination of people constantly reflecting back that how they look isn't acceptable. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue talking about this because, um, Yeah, we got to go to break. All right, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, sorry. I, uh, (laughs) without a producer, I don't always realize that the clock is a ticking. So anyway, last segment, we're talking about weight gain, weight loss. We're talking about recognizing the mental health impact whenever we're going to start or have a conversation with someone about our thoughts or feelings. I, I mean, to those of us that have had acne, Um, you got to love that friend. That's like, Oh, you know, you have a breakout on your forehead or you have a zit on your face. And it's like, obviously we all know, obviously everyone's aware anxiously of what's going on with their bodies at all times. We are very good at being, you know, at the surveillance of it all. We don't need to point it out. And I was saying in the last segment that I just really want our goal in moving to the new year to be one of saying, what's the mental health impact? If I say this thing to this person, how would it impact the mental health? And if it's going to have a negative impact, I keep it to myself. That's called boundaries, right? We have two boundaries. One protects us from other people and the other boundary protects other people from us. And that's the one that's often lacking is I'll see people thinking like they'll say, I'm going to confront that person or I I just tell it like it is. I keep it real. It's like, right. So you don't have good boundaries. You don't protect other people from you. You somehow have legitimized or glorified this idea that it's empowering and it's healthy to just say whatever's on your mind, not caring the impact it has on others. But mental health, again, the definition is you care about your impact on others. That's called empathy. That's called socialization. That's called being relational. And some people think it's funny or cool to just say whatever they want or to make fun of people. Comedians are still doing that, right? But as we're moving into the new year, we're developing that mental health lens. And that's our first question. When someone asks you to do something, how's it going to impact my mental health? And before you say or do something, how might that impact my mental health, their mental health? Because we never do that. And it sounds strange to many people. They're like, oh man, it's like, yeah, we never consider that. We already got the physical down. We already know I'm not going to take this object and hit someone with it because we honor and really value not physically damaging someone, but we're okay with the emotional and psychological. We're okay constantly asking someone, when are you getting married? Why are you still single? 
And the person who says that, it's about their anxiety. They're uncomfortable with you being single. They want you to start dating. They feel bad, right? That's the key word. They feel bad that they think you feel bad. It's like, go deal with your own experience of someone else and work through it on your own. We don't need to keep vocalizing, pulling other people into that, right? Because what's the negative? What is the mental health impact on saying to someone every time you see them? Why aren't you married yet? Why are you still single? You're taking the time they're spending with you. You're taking time out of their day to make them feel bad. You're walking them into it. Why? You know, a loved one sees you every holiday and you're commenting on their weight gain or weight loss. That's what you wanted to do with those couple minutes. You only see them once a year and you want to take some time to make sure they feel bad because you can't have a good boundary and impulse control and keep your weight concerns to yourself. They're aware they're living in the world. You know, it, it, this, this falls under every topic, talking about what someone's wearing and how they're dressed, how disheveled they are. And that was part of why I had so many clients that were so happy they didn't have to go home for any holidays because they weren't, their parents were going to talk about their gender or their sexual orientation or their weight or what they're wearing or whether they're married or when they're having kids. Again, it's whoever's asking those questions, it's about their anxiety, but also them not caring about how they impact others emotionally and psychologically. I want to bring more awareness to that. And that's why I get frustrated with celebrity gossip. It's triggering regular people. It's, it's using celebrities mishaps as a way to build a platform and to create jokes. And we have to really start caring more about mental health. So we're going to keep talking more about that. And you'll notice that <clears throat> whenever I bring up a topic, it's through that lens, right? We can't just talk about things like they're neutral. Very few things are neutral in terms of mental health. Most of them have a powerful and direct impact, right? Because when we look at uh, mental health outcomes, one of the things we have to be doing in assessments is, ready for this one, when we're talking with someone, this is, I do this all the time when I'm working with an individual in my practice, I'll look, you know, as we're assessing mental health, I'll say, well, what's the mental health of the people you spend time around? Do they have good boundaries? Do they honor that they have an impact on your mental health? Are they toxic? It's a really hard conversation, but we have to look at when we're trying to take care of our mental health, the impact our friends and our family members and loved ones, our colleagues, our bosses, what kind of impact do they have on you? Are they toxic for you? What does that mean? How do you feel before seeing them? How do you feel while with them? And how do you feel afterwards? And if it's always bad and negative, well, then these people aren't good for your mental health. And we have to talk about finding ways to set boundaries or even maybe moving away from a relationship with them. Because yeah, that's the goal. Is not that we don't get into fights or conflict with people. That's life. That should happen. But they're not toxic for us. They're not bad for us. They don't negatively impact our mental health. There's work to do, but they don't negatively impact our mental health. So that really has to be the question. And that's the only thing I want people to do in this quote unquote new year, new year, new me, is that we're gonna care about those things this year. We are gonna care about how things impact others. It's not just gonna be about my family or keeping my side of the street clean or worrying about my state only or my coast. Oh, well, I'm on the West Coast, I don't have to care. Or my country, oh, well, I only have to worry about America. No, we wanna worry about everything and everyone. That's part of that necessary collective shift. So start to think about that though. How healthy are the people that you engage in all day long? Do they reflect back uh, empowerment and positivity? Do they fight fair? Are they able to deal with conflict? Or is it the opposite? It's a really scary question to ask and be asked. But I also love the reflection. I put this on my social media. How about you? It, are, are people's lives made better because you're a part of them? Like I really want you to ask yourself that. Look around at the relationships you're in, socially, romantically, and familiarly. Is your presence in their lives making them better or worse? Do you make their lives easier or harder? Do you bring joy or do you bring misery? Like really sit with that. It's a very difficult thing to answer and some people aren't gonna like the response they give themselves. But that matters. It has to matter. 
right? It's not just, well, I don't need to worry about, they need to take care of themselves. It's a system and we're a part of that. So we got to get better about it. I know we have the capacity to make people's lives better if we just kind of look out for each other in a different way. And this is just, this is just the small piece of what I do in marital and couples therapy is looking at how them being together impacts each other. And people, you know, just because you're attracted or enjoy someone enough doesn't mean you're built to be in a relationship. Tough stuff, but that's what we're here for, those tough questions and getting those tough answers. All right, coming up soon, uh, we're going to be doing some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, you can drop it in our Loveline IG page in the DMs. And if you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can do so always by going to wearechannelq.com. All right, y'all, you are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. Um, Going to slide in the DMs, but uh found a couple more articles I want to talk about. I know, I know, you're all so eager for those DMs. Don't worry, they're coming. Um, I love people that uh, really kind of live and embody some of the things we talk about. I was talking on an earlier show about the difference between genital prime and sexual prime and how you'll hear people think that as we get into our, our later years that sex drive and sexuality are going to fall off, right? And that our, our, our sexual prime is when we're young. And it's like, no. That is your genital prime. That is the best time to have children. That's when your genitals might be functioning at, at its most ideal or robust. But I was saying our sexual prime, again, as opposed to genital prime, is in our later years when we're more confident with our bodies, we're more confident with our sexuality, we're more confident with our partners, and we ask for exactly what we want. And that should be the goal, working on sexual esteem, body esteem, relational esteem, and, and literally being more authentic and honest and transparent about who we are, what we want, what we desire, willing to explore, push boundaries. So our sexual prime should be something that grows and that we slowly move into if we're doing the necessary work. And an important part of mental health and relational health is sexual health. They all intersect and tie into each other. They all support each other. Parallel processes, combined processes. And again, as we age, that's the work of these later years. We're moving away from the ageist decline narrative. And I'm looking at a story here of Suzanne Summers, 74, Alan Hamill, her husband, 84. They have sex three times a day at times. That's amazing. That's intimacy. That's connection. It's good for their bodies. It's good for their immune system. It wards off some forms of cancer, orgasms. This is amazing stuff. But again, more profound is just them saying like, we still have a great sex life. We're still very much in love. We're in our older years, but that doesn't mean that we've moved away from joy and pleasure and connection and doing the work to have the kind of sex they want to have. I love that. I want that for everyone, but we have to work towards that. We have to implement that. We can have that at younger in our younger years, but for a lot of people, it takes a lot of time and they have to go through a lot of social developmental milestones to get to that place. But that's the work. You know, earlier life is about us against the world. It's about power and control and our ego and accumulation and titles. But the second phase of life that some people never get to because it's not something that just happens inherently. It's something you have to move into. It's not chronological necessarily. The second phase of life is about you and yourself. Does my life have purpose and meaning? What's my legacy? You move away from control. It's about meaning now. You move away from power and ego. You don't care about titles and all those things. It's a beautiful time. Uh, but anyway, now it is time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Tonight's DM says, hey, Dr. Chris, I've been kind of curious about something. People say that sex is better on drugs. I've never done anything stronger than weed or alcohol. However, I'm very curious to try something more out like MDMA, but I'm worried about something becoming dependent. 
dependent on it to have sex in the future. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, specifically to answer your question, you're not going to become dependent upon anything in order to be able to have sex. Psychologically, it comes up in terms of things like Viagra sometimes where people will use Viagra to perform the way they think they need to, completely forgetting what sex is really about, joy, pleasure, connection, which none of it requires you to have the best erections or erections at all or even penetration. And sometimes because it quote unquote works or they think it works, they get anxious to try to have sex without it because they're stuck in their ego and they're not realizing don't have sex with partners that make demands. Don't have the kind of sex your body's up for having. That's actually sex negative and body negative. But I'm not worried about someone using a sex toy or taking you know some kind of substance to enhance pleasure and then becoming dependent upon it. That doesn't work like that. And to make sure, take breaks from using things. Whatever we're talking about, whatever you're using for an enhancement, take time away from it. Don't use it all the time or days in a row. Take a break, use differing amounts. Go without it. But I'm not worried about dependence. It doesn't work like that. There's no study to show that someone, you know, using a vibrator or some kind of drug enhancement or something like that inherently led to some kind of dependence. Psychologically, you might get more confident in its use and that could reinforce its continued use. But that's not a clinical concern. So I'm not worried about that. Not at all. It's usually these are things we don't even have access to all the time. So take some breaks. Try whatever you're comfortable and willing to try within the ethics and the legal legality of wherever you live, because it's always about following the law, um, and, and enjoy yourselves, you know, worry less. All right, y'all, that is our show. If you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveland IG page. Tomorrow's show is an important one. We're going to be talking about sex addiction, more importantly, debunking it, because it's something that isn't real. It's rejected by all the governing bodies within mental health, but yet few people like to sling around that term as though it's something we all agreed upon, have the same universal definition for. And in fact, we don't. It's even rejected from the diagnostic manual, which means in psychological words, doesn't even exist. So we'll be talking about that. So join us. Thanks for hanging out, y'all. And have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your night.